Inirurri Snowdonia, National Theatre Wales along with Natural Resources Wales, hosted a two-week-long international artist residency in response to climate change, called Egin. As part of the proceedings, they curated four events, Skurshai Hinsouth, Climate Conversations. They brought the resident artists together with musicians and specially invited provocateurs to share local and global perspectives, along with anyone from the local community who fancied it. The Climate Conversations happened in an outdoor centre, in a carpeted room with a panelled ceiling and large windows that looked out onto a disused ski slope at the foot of Manadhoidhrari, Snowdonia's mountains. Before the events could be set up, we often had to wait for children who had been canoeing or orienteering to pick up their coats and bags and empty crisp packets. Each evening the room looked and felt completely different, put together by Lindsay Corburn, a facilitator and artist who hosted and produced the events collaboratively. Land, money, rebellion, hope. Podcasts like this often pose a question and then answer it. This is not what will happen here. Like the events they came from, this is about creating a space to share knowledge and thoughts and raise questions. And what happens next is up to all of us. Hope. Gobaith. At the tables there's a mixture of people who have been here all four events, there's artists here, there's people who have been supporting the artists here and there's people who have just arrived so that might be a bit weird for the people who have just arrived. We've all slightly lost it I think. <laughs> so on the, on the tables we've got two little things that we're hoping you might use to record things and we're going to use them at the end to, to create an enormous circle of hope, hopefully. So on the table there's coloured ones with a like happy face, it's imaginative, and there's also white ones with a sad face. So happy ones are for any messages of hope you might have or any thoughts about what might make you hopeful. And the sad ones are for things that you can't let go of but would like to not have with you today if you can, or you know, things that are in the back of your mind that are weighing you down. Reflect on your own about hope if you want in pairs, in threes, however you like to do it. If you could write down any hopeful thoughts on those notes, that would be great, but no pressure, because we'll be moving on to the speakers who are here. Ignasi over here, and we have Andrew over there. First, I would ask people, why do they want to be hopeful? Yeah, what's behind hopefulness? It often hides hubristic human centrism my name is Ignacio Turren. I'm a, a doctor in international relations. My background is on armed conflicts and more specifically, I look at how international or Western organizations such as the UN deal with post-conflict context and post-conflict recovery. Modernity has been genocidal. Well, it has been genocidal for Again, for the ecologies that couldn't keep up with it. Modernity implied, you know, like liberalism, capitalism, all these in which, you know, modernity is rooted. It's brought us to the edge of extinction in many ways. We need to enable different forms of, you know, interactions and exchanges that are durable, you know, that are, that are not destructive.
The climate is changing faster than we are, and things are, to be fair, looking a little bit apocalyptic. Plus 50 degree temperatures, minus 50 degree temperatures, and the knockout one, which I came across the other day, about the, the rate of Arctic sea ice melt. The fact that we've lost 70% by volume since 19, 1979, which processed into a rate of loss, can you get your head around this, is 10,000 tons per second loss of Arctic sea ice. Which brings me to the observation. It's one that's been made so resonant, it's, I've seen it attributed to at least half a dozen people on the interweb, that it's become easier to imagine the end of the world than a change to our economic system. This is a moment, I think, where we're saying this is just a sign of the things to come. And that's, that's so true of so many of the impacts that we're seeing around us right now. And, I, you know, I think there's a certain amount of grief that goes along with that and grieving for futures that we thought were going to happen that aren't going to happen anymore. The, the future is not going to be like the, the world that we grew up with. So we need to help imagine what those different futures might be and to understand that emotionally as well as intellectually so as to prepare ourselves and help inspire people to, to build that different future. And so I, I feel that the arts particularly serve a purpose there of helping people process those feelings and convert them into, into action, hopefully, or at least into, into understanding uh, from which other things can come from. And I don't think just passing on information, just giving people facts, can do that. <laughs> My name is Dr. Aaron Thierry. I am an ecologist by training. I'm now a campaigner, I would say. And I grew up here in North Wales, just outside Bethesda. There's a state of paralysis that we're all in currently a cultural state of denial, maybe it's too strong a word, but definitely disavowal of, of our responsibility and our understanding of this. We kind of keep this, this break and this barrier between what we know and how we act in the world and interact with people around us and in our daily lives, <laughs> do our jobs. And, you know, we just carry on pretending everything's normal when actually the world is falling apart around us. And somehow we have to bring those two things together and actually look it in the face and say, okay, I understand this is, this is the way that the world is going. How do we accept that? move on and get on and do something about it. And I think we need the arts to help us process it, yeah. Climate emergency declarations. The, la the last time I looked, 117 first and second tier councils in the UK have committed to climate emergency declarations. Over 70 of those have committed to net zero carbon targets by the year 2030. This is another caution around the strategies of Extinction Rebellion because Canada declared a climate emergency and the next day it approved a tar sands pipeline. All our governments all over the world and councils are declaring climate emergencies. But they're just declaring them and there's no action taking place. And I thought that maybe as an independent country, Wales would have greater freedom to do that. I mean, we've declared ourselves a nation of sanctuary already open to refugees and supporting people in trouble around the world and welcoming them here. And I would hope that we could, if we were independent, actually do more radical stuff in terms of climate. Things are happening. And if you ever doubt our ability to change, there are really well-researched areas in public health, for example, which show when there is a focused effort, we can really turn things around. 
Back in the 1970s, about half the population smoked. Now it's less than one in five. There's been a complete revolution in the way that we drive on the roads. Drink driving, etc. A focused, comprehensive approach to behavior change has changed how people are. Look at how things have been turned around, for example, in the HIV AIDS crisis. That's something which at one time, not very long ago, looked apocalyptic. That's now in reverse and, and back under control. The rise of car-free days. There were none in the year 2000. Last year, there were 2,000 cities around the world experimenting with car-free days, including places you might not expect, like Jakarta in Indonesia, because there they're living the reality of the downside of the economic model, which has led to unbreathable air. Oslo, for example, this year is making its city center car-free. Electric cars, right? People talk about electric cars say, if only we could change every car to electric car. But if Britain, just Britain, electrified its, all of its cars, it would take a third of all the copper produced in the world. It would take more rare earth minerals than a, we know that we, we know that known reserves for. And these are like, this is the most devastating kind of extraction, right? Cobalt, lithium. They're in the places which are the most polluted places in the world and the demand for them is going to be huge right so the idea that we can that the solution to the climate crisis is simply going to be we could green our economy like if only we could shift a fossil fuel economy to a renewable energy economy everything would be all right actually it's not going to be i mean it sounds like all that shit that's so daunting but in it is actually some incredible things because we can start to think actually what should society be like what should energy, why should that be owned by private companies? Shouldn't that be owned by people? Not just in terms of delivery, but extraction. So what does that mean? Why are we allowing private companies to profit from commodity trading on food? We can feed the world three times over. Feasibly, technically, we can do it. We, we know we've got the resources because, of course, when the banks failed, we found 13 trillion for them. We found trillions for going to work. There's no lack of resources. What lacks is one, political will, but more importantly, our ability to have a vision that forces politicians to think beyond what they're thinking. And I, I, before 1945, if you said in 1939, there will be at NHS a welfare system, a national education, people have said, ah, that's just not, that's not realistic. But of course it happened, right? When people said the same about the, the right to vote for women or the ending slavery, right? The, these were all moments that didn't come because somebody at the top decided we are going to bestow this. It's because we built movements that connected each other and that had radical demands. There's something about how unconnected we have become with our instinctual relationship to nature and also ourselves, that we try and rationally conceive the world in a very particular way and we don't trust our imagination, we don't trust our intuition, and we find it really difficult to really see things or really hear things. You know, the landscape itself, if you look carefully, it tells its history really powerfully. It tells its history of our relationship as human beings to it really powerfully. It tells the history of nature itself playing a part in the change that is evolutionary for the land and that nothing is still. You know, there is no fixed point. You know, everything is changing. Actually, we are all constantly moving. 
sometimes we just don't know how we're moving or where we're going or why we're going and you know why we're doing it so I think all of that really played a part in some of the conversations that were happening on our table particularly around if we listen hard enough the land is calling out to us nature is speaking to us and somehow we've got to attune our ears to to knowing what the answer might be because we rationally can't solve it necessarily. Western white civilization, you know, our form of understanding progress is highly human-centered, is, is, is teleological, so there's a telos, there's a goal behind our form of understanding progress which is linear, which is perpetually expansive. But you know, the Anthropocene has told us that that was a, a lie. This form of progress has been interrupted now. We are trying to verify like, who we are, how we relate with the non-human, how we can conceptualize earthly encounters differently. It's, it is a privilege to be an artist, uh, I think. Uh, but in a good way, because you're in a position to question the status quo, address them, and I also kind of work with them. You know, the cliche is, you know, human beings will only get together and be under the same umbrella once there is an alien inv invasion. And I feel like climate change is an invasion, you know? It is, it is, it is the, enemy. It is, it is the peril that we have put ourselves into, and it's our common fate. So, and I feel everyone brings that, that, that space. It is not about where they're coming from, what their background is. It's like we are here, and we are here for a particular reason. So let's talk about it, let's learn from it, and let's do something about it. So I have like uh, one final provocation and one message for the artists, okay. So the provocation is, as I said, I've, I've done work for a while on Yemen. Ye Yemen nowadays has like a huge travel of, so the, the underground water of, of Yemen is, is drying out. And the, the, the way this is being framed is that it's a humanitarian crisis because it, it might result in hunger, it might result in human death. But if we frame it this way, to me this is, one more anthropogenic attempt to colonize the non-human because like the earth, the, the soil, the human, the animals, the wind, the air, they are just in, in ongoing co-emergent reinvention. Death only entails loss from a human-centered perspective. Death from a non-human-centered perspective does not necessarily entail loss, yeah, like so the flesh fades, you know, it turns into dust and dust comes into the air, you know. We might look at things from this non-human, non-teleological perspective. And let me just conclude by saying that as you are artists, the less ethics have to do with conquering, mastering, transforming the world and instead learning to live with, with this uncertainty, with these uncertain effects, Aesthetics precisely addresses the creativity of the world and the openness of the future. And that's why I celebrate these gatherings here, because this is this sort of illustrate 
that there is possibility for non-modern ways of projecting ourselves in time, whatever we want to define time as. Yeah, but um, yeah, that's that's that was my provocation. So thanks, thanks for listening. <laughs> so we were just thinking now it might be rather nice to um, share any thoughts of hope. We could throw them across the, uh, across the circle. Any offerings, any readings of hope? Well, I've learned a whole lot today and climate change is a lot more than we think. We normally think about, oh, we need to plant more trees, but Obviously, we've been thinking about that for the past centuries, and we should be just doing that normally. If everyone made a contribution towards cleaning up this planet, then we'd all be happy and we'd all be looking forward to a better future. And looking forward to a better future would mean we'd keep doing it. And in this case, we're just wallowing in our own depression, and we're just thinking about, oh, we're just going to keep carrying on, we're just going to make this world worse. They're only thinking about the downs and not the ups. And I think if everyone looked at the ups, then we'd actually get a better success. And we've got some, we've got some lovely work from Ascolda Frenogwen on the on the walls here, full of hope to reinforce that. Anything else? Any other thoughts? Hi everyone, I'm Simon Coates, I'm Head of Creative Development at National Theatre Wales and one of our artists, Zenson, would like to share uh, an improvised performance with us all. It has a working title of I Am and it will be just outside Plaza Brennan on the grass over here looking out towards the lake. Put a jacket on, it's raining, I actually it might have just stopped. <laughs> Put your jacket on, go to the toilet quickly and then we'll walk out just out to the front here of Plaza Brennan. Corporate work to work FOC and the tear gas welding police constable. They make me call it an Africanism. I make a fool. I call it his Kafuluism. I am a Pan Africanist. I walk the footsteps of Steve Biko. I celebrate, I toast to the activistic sentimentalities of Kwame Nkrumah. I denounce, I detest the neocolonialistic tenets of a brother living under Babylonian power. I am my own national democide predict my own destiny and only God permits my next pursuit so don't reach me peace cause peace hmm. peace 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 prevails only when guns go silent so moment of silence Hey, you're gonna be a yeah. Hey, you're gonna be a yeah. 
Thank you to our speakers, Ignacy Torrent and Andrew Sims for their provocations on hope, and the musicians Charles Gershom and Rob Spall for their sounds. You also heard contributions from Aaron Thierry, Suzanne Daliwell, Sean Ashton, Kali Fiare, Shezad Chowdhury and Aidan McLean. A huge thank you to them and to all the people who took part in Egin. Dilchen Vaur. These podcasts were recorded and edited by me, Lisa Heleth-Jones. Egin was produced by National Theatre Wales in partnership with Natural Resources Wales, with support from the National Trust, Snowdonia National Park Authority and the British Council.